Good to be here with you again this morning as we come and uh, celebrate all the goodness of Christ and what he's done for us through the gospel. And uh, to kick us off this morning, I'm going to play a song via Marlene down the back. So Marlene, you can start that for us. Please don't sing along, whatever you do, okay? Take two. It never goes as planned, does it? That's the wrong song. That's the wrong song. Okay, we've lost it. Don't worry about it. We'll let it go. It was a song all about heaven by the Eurogliders from uh, about 20-odd years ago, and they were saying, I'm looking for a better place. I'm looking for a better place. Heaven must be there. Heaven must be there. And uh, I think it's really a cry from their heart of what everybody has to some extent, that God has placed eternity in our hearts, and uh, we are looking for something better. And that song would have told us that. They, they said, I'm looking for another place. There must be another place. So today, as we wrap up our series, uh, thinking about this, um, we are going to think about heaven. We are going to think about uh, precisely what God has created us for and will bring us into. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's go to John chapter 14 and we'll read from verses uh, 1 through 7. It was a good song. We might be able to play it for you later on. John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 7 uh, says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have also known my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Uh, Lord, we just come before you now and ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would come and just to open up this word uh, as we think about uh, John chapter 14, think about Jesus here with his disciples, the Last Supper, 
and uh, sharing with them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Lord, as we think about the end of the road for disciples who follow Christ and trust him, and think about what is at the end of that road, uh, Lord, it is a glorious eternity with you. So we pray, please, uh, give us a heart to be able to understand that this morning we ask, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are really concluding our series um, this week. A uh, series we started maybe four or five weeks ago, which called Who Am I? And uh, we looked at that right back at the start. And from there, we looked at, I'm uh, sorry, what am I here for? Or what is my purpose in life? We looked at that as well. And then over a couple of sessions, the last two weeks, we looked at, I'm an individual, but I don't want to be alone. God's created us to be in community. And uh, today, we're looking at um, this idea of what is the end path. So who am I? I'm a u- unique individual who's been created by God. But I, um, as an eternal being, to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. Uh, what am I here for? Uh, we looked at, I'm here to live a life that displays the glory of God, to let every part of my being reflect the beauty of God's holiness with joy out through our lives. And then over a couple of weeks, we looked at, I'm an individual, I don't want to be alone. God is a relational God who creates me to be in community and a community where I can love and learn and give and serve and help others to see more of Jesus Christ in and through me. And today, as I said, we look at what's the end game for Christians? What does the path of a disciple lead to? What is the end of the road uh, for a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, I think this is really important for us to think about this perspective because what this does give us is we think about this, um, the end of the road for, for believers. It gives us an eternal perspective a really big picture perspective of life, which actually helps us then to live this life uh, the way God has called us to. Unfortunately, we live most of our lives caught up in the here and now because it really does dominate what we're doing. It's just real, but like Ben and Megan said before, you know, just open up a bank account, it's just taking me so much time. It just really does, it's right there. And it dominates our minds for times. Uh, so we, so much so that we can lose sight of the big picture of eternity uh, in our lives. So I want us to step through this passage here to open up our eyes to see the glorious eternity that God is preparing for us. For all those who trust in Jesus Christ and call him their Lord, here is this glorious eternity that is awaiting for us. Uh, context verse, as we think about what's happening in that passage I just read from, um, Jesus is only hours uh, away from being crucified on a Roman cross. Uh, we're in Rome, John chapter 14. He's in the upper room having a last meal with his dis- disciples at this particular time and he's about to be crucified on a Roman cross probably within maybe 12 hours or so of that particular meal. Uh, Jesus over the past three years has taught them much and now even at this last meal he's still teaching them and telling them about the kingdom, about himself. And at this time, he's telling them, at this particular spot, he's about to leave them. He's about to be betrayed. Jesus is about to be handed over to the chief priests and then handed over to the Romans to be crucified on a Roman cross. Uh, This news, at this particular time for the disciples, uh, sends them into a tailspin. Um, They're just, whoa, what's going on here, Lord? This is not according to the script. And they're sort of saying, what this is, how can this be? For all intents and purposes, the disciples thought the kingdom was coming now with Jesus Christ, that Israel would be established again as the world's superpower, but Jesus as their king. But Jesus is saying, oh no, I'm about to go. I'm actually, this is all going to happen. 
So these guys are saying, or they're feeling fearful, disturbed, anxious, confused, and deeply troubled at this particular time. Troubled. (coughs) So let's pick it up here when Jesus tells them... uh, um, with, sorry, let's pick it up here where Jesus tells them about what's going to happen uh, beyond this time. Jesus tells them here, this is where the road will end as a follower of for him. He's actually he let them know where it's going to come, where it's going to get to. This passage here we look at, if we think about it carefully, can be brought alive by the Holy Spirit to bring us deep comfort and unshakable faith as we begin to unpack this and open this up. I think also this passage, as we allow it to uh, sink into our hearts will actually change the way we live for Jesus Christ. It'll change the way we live here and now. It'll actually allow us to live in radical sacrifice as well as we grasp what Jesus is talking about here in this uh, passage. Okay, let's start off the top here. Uh, Jesus starts this response to the disciples and feeling in this fearful, uh, worried way and he knows exactly where these guys are right at. They're troubled. They're troubled. Verse 1, it says, "'Let not your hearts be troubled.'" Believe in God, believe also in me. This is the beauty of Christ. He knows exactly where we're at. Maybe there's some visible expressions on those disciples back then, but he knew exactly where they're at. Nothing escapes his knowledge. Jesus is God. He knows exactly where we are at and what we are facing. And we are probably no different to those disciples. Just as much as they're feeling troubled about what's happening in their life at this time, it's symptomatic of our own world that we all face similar types of troubles in different ways. Now, I don't need to go too much into this troubling side of things. I know everybody here experiences that. But I'm even just thinking about Melbourne as an example of the troubling world we live in. It's been voted, I think, probably over the last 10 years, maybe five or six times, the world's most livable city. But if you look at it now over the last maybe two or three years, it's actually slipped off the scale and no longer the world's most livable city. Um, You see this open violence on the streets. And I'm actually amazed that these gangs come out and do it in their sort of brazen turf wars right under CCTV or thousands of mobile phones that people have and they don't care. They just go out and just do their thing. We live in a troubled and uh, a deeply anxious world. Because people, if you do a straw poll on the street, I'm not sure I want to go down the street. I'm not sure I want to go to the shopping centre because those gangs could come out and do their thing. We live in this troubling world. Particularly if we think about the eternity as we're looking about it today, large masses of our population are stru- struggle with the thought of death. They really, really do. I read this uh, interview Um, on Dame Elizabeth Murdoch, I mean some of you would know her, Uh, as about 10 years ago when she was turning 100 years old and this guy was asking her about her life and they actually got to the point of asking about her thoughts on death and dying, which I thought was an interesting question so I read with interest to follow on and here's how she replied to this question about what do you think about death and dying and she replied with this, well, I just live life enjoying every moment and death... I just don't know. I just don't know. I thought that was a really interesting question which left, left me feeling really empty and sad for her. I live life just enjoying every moment. And death? Well, I just don't know. I think there's masses and masses of the population out there that don't know about death, don't think about death. And it leaves them feeling anxious. So we are broken people who live in this broken world and we all experience trouble. 
and this trouble blurs our vision, as it were, of the eternal perspective that we have out there. Trouble, this is where these disciples are. But Jesus comes. Jesus comes. He's come on a rescue mission to save us from this brokenness. And the end goal of all those who put their trust in Jesus is eventually to leave all these troubles behind and to be united with him in heaven. And this is where Jesus goes to with them in verse 2. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is saying there, I'm going to prepare a place for you. We take that to be heaven. The very presence of God. Now, I'm a little bit guarded when I say the very presence of God because this, God's presence is here right now. Sometimes we think of heaven, well, that's where God is. Well, God is there, but he's here as well. A difference though, the, the presence of heaven, it, it is, um, and this is really hard to describe, it, the presence of God in heaven is, is gloriously, beautifully, pure, purifyingly holy. Perhaps is the way to describe that. God's presence is the same here, but it dwells with evil and sin at the same time. So it's, it, heaven is just like there is no evil, there is no sin, there's no nothing up there. So when we think of God's presence in heaven, yes, it's in both, time, both um, spheres at the same time, but it's um, purifyingly holy and glory in heaven. So what is this place Jesus is preparing, preparing called heaven? And what will make heaven heaven? How do you think about heaven when you think about eternity and the big picture? I once had a friend who loved driving trucks. That was just his thing. He loved driving trucks. He was a Christian and he told me what he was looking forward to in heaven one day as we were having a conversation. He said, I reckon Jesus has got me a brand spanking new shiny Kenworth in heaven. I'm just going to drive to Brisbane and back all the time. That's how he thought about heaven. Uh, and it's possibly a common thought for some Christians. We sort of think about heaven in an earthly perspective, maybe. Maybe some of you are thinking about a never-ending pack of Tim Tams with no calories attached. Could if I'm getting smiles already. Sometimes we sort of think about it in that particular way. We sort of I'm not saying that's wrong. Maybe God can do something glorious through a pack of Tim Tams and no t- calories attached. But let me put it to you that what will make heaven, heaven, won't be a Kenworth truck, I don't believe, or an ever-ending pack of Tim Tams, it'll be because Jesus Christ is there. Jesus is all we need to make heaven, heaven. I reckon Jesus points us to this truth in the next verse, in verse 3. He says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See what it says there? Jesus saying, I'm going to take you to myself to be with me. That where I am, you will be also. Jesus saying, I'm bringing you to this place to be with me. I think we've got to see here that Jesus will be the absolute sovereign king and he is the sovereign king and particularly so we'll see him in a very clear sense in heaven, who's defeated all sin, all evil, all death, all sickness, and defeated all trouble when we get to heaven. Have a look at this verse with me in Revelation 21, where Dave so 
uh, well read for us before. Verse 3 and 4, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. All the troubles of this world will not even be a distant memory in the presence of Jesus in heaven. The dwelling place of God will be with his people, that verse tells us. God calls us his very own possession and he gladly calls himself our God in that place called heaven. God will no longer dwell with us by the eyes of faith, which is how we live now. We can't see God. But we will live with God by the eyes of sight. And that's pretty amazing. The God who's put all this world together will no longer be by faith in our hearts. It'll be by sight. We will see God. Jesus as the sovereign Lord there, who has established his perfect rule of peace and joy and righteousness in this place so that in heaven there'll be no trace of trouble whatsoever anywhere. Every argument or tense conversation that we may have had on earth will never, ever happen again. Every strained relationship that has been put under pressure and we all go through that will be forgotten. Every twinge of ache Everybody's feeling their arthritis in their right knee at the moment. Every twinge of ache, right up to that tearful, continual, searing pain that people are living with sometimes, will never be again. Every grief and trauma, and as much of that associated with death, will never be experienced again. Every deep feeling of loss and loneliness associated with death will cease it just will not happen I think probably every person in this room has experienced death within their families at some point and we experience all those things with death that will not be in heaven Jesus the sovereign lord of the universe who's defeated all of that will totally remove it from our presence it'll be nothing there whatsoever in the way of trouble Jesus will make heaven heaven because of his sovereign joy and sovereign rule there. It will be pure, it will be undiluted. We get this picture as well in that Revelation 21, 22, 25, this central aspect of God being the centre of heaven. Verse 22 says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. It's a beautiful picture of heaven, of this presence of God. It will be a never-ending river of delight because of the glory of God in heaven. God's pure, beautiful, holy presence, we're told there, 
will light up the entirety of heaven. I'm not sure how that's going to be, but that's exactly what the Bible tells us there. It says, and Jesus the Lamb, who is the lamp of glory there, because it says that, he's the lamp of glory there, Jesus will be the centrepiece or the spotlight of this glory. Heaven will be heaven simply because Jesus Christ is there and his presence will glorify this place. And the picture there of the gates are never shut and there's no night and there's, it just goes on. It, this gives us a picture here of the infinite glory of God that will go on for eternity, continually filling us with awe and joy and wonder. It will never, ever end. And we can't get that. I had a conversation with my English teacher back in year 11 of high school. So that's going back about 30 plus years ago maybe about 35 years ago, and he said this to me once. I was talking to him about heaven. He said, he said after a million years, won't you be bored? He said, you've done everything 10 times over or 100 times over or 1,000 times over. Won't you be bored in heaven? Because you've, you've done everything in a million years. Nothing will be exciting anymore. That was his concept here of thinking about heaven. You're just... You've experienced everything and now it's bored. There'll be no boredom in heaven. That will not be the case that after 10 million years that I'm somehow now bored with what's happening there. Because God is infinite, beyond measure, never-ending. He can never be exhausted. We can't get to the end of God, as it were, the end of the glory that he will display for us. That means in somehow in God's own way that's beyond our comprehension that every day, every day, never ending, will be a new discovery of some facet of his glory. It will never end. This will inspire within us every single time we see this new facet of God's glory, experiences of worship and delight in him. It will never, ever end end. God will just go on and on and on, revealing himself more and more and more, and we will never grow bored. We will never grow tired. We will always be excited. We will always be in worship. We'll always be in delight in seeing what he does. I was trying to think of that. Last year, I went to Ayers Rock with the family, and you just, you drive along, and out of the horizon, this rock just sort of rises up, and you're just blown away by it. I'm thinking, with God's glory, that means I could go to this rock 10 million times, 100 million times. And every time I would go to this, something new would burst out of that rock to just reveal God's glory to me. I will never get tired because God is infinite and his glories will go on and on and on, revealing this to us day after day. Way better than a Kenworth truck and way better than a packet of never-ending Tim Tams. Jesus will make heaven heaven because he's there and his glory is just being revealed, unfolded before us day after day, moment after moment. Now let's move back to the disciples here as we think about Jesus. They're still not sure what's going on. Thomas says this in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? 
Now, I'm really glad Thomas asked this question. I think I like a lot of Thomases from time to time because questions are good. Because this is what we are all about here at Exchange Church. If you're a visitor with us today, we are so glad you're here. We thank you for coming and we want as many people to come here and experience Jesus. Because here at Exchange, we want to introduce you to Jesus Christ and the way to heaven. Exchange Church is all about connecting people to Christ and growing people in Christ. And Thomas is asking this really good question. What is the way to this place and where are you going, Jesus, and how do I overcome this world? Well, Jesus doesn't waste any time with Thomas. He answers him in the very next verse and he says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, he's talking about God, except through me. Thomas, do you want to be with me in heaven? I'm the way, I'm the truth and I'm the life. As I just said before, we love all people here at Exchange and we respect all beliefs. We would welcome anybody of any faith to come here. Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist, whatever. And we respect all beliefs. Anybody of any walk of life is accepted here at Exchange. Come, come, invite them. If you've got friends with that way, come. But there's a really big but here. We need to tell you this. There are not many paths to God. There are not many paths to God. If you've been told that God is out there somewhere, and if you can just find the right path that suits you out of the many paths that are there, and just walk that path to God, well, I'm really sorry you've been told that. I'm really sorry you've been told that. There's only one path to God. There's only one path to heaven. There's only one path to find the cure for our sin and our brokenness that has kept us out of God's presence. Jesus is the only way. Now that sounds really exclusive, doesn't it? Sort of being this inclusive world. It is exclusive. Nobody's excluded from being on that path, but there is only one path. There are not many paths to God. You don't find your own way. And we don't make any apologies for the exclusivity of that path because we don't want to point anybody down the wrong path. We want to put people on the right path the path through Jesus Christ because there has been no other person like Jesus, the Son of God, who can make that path for us. No other person has actually carved out a path through the mountains of sin and brokenness that we've built our own selves into to make a path through all that to reconnect us back to God. Jesus Christ is the only way He carved a path through those mountains of brokenness of sin via the cross by destroying our sin, destroying its penalty and breaking its power over our lives in one single blow at the cross. Jesus says he's the way, he's the truth and he is the life. He's not one of many ways. If there's one thing I want you to get really clear today before you leave, 
There's only one way through to the Father. It is through Jesus Christ. How do you enter this path? Glad you asked that question. Let's go back to verse 1 and see what Jesus says there. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me, Jesus says. Believe. Believe. Believe in me, says Jesus. Put your trust in me. Put your faith in me. Put your hope in me, Jesus says. This is grace. This is exactly what grace is all about. Not one person has earned a place with Jesus in heaven. Not one person is worthy of a place in heaven with Jesus on our own right, our own merit. No one's done anything to gain that. It's all of grace. Jesus says, believe who I am. Believe what I've done at the cross and that I've risen from the grave. And believe what I'm telling you right now, Jesus says. Believe in me. Believe in God. Think about this word believe, though. Sometimes we get that confused because it could be just, well, I do believe. I've just got these sort of, you know, set of facts up here, a few details. I believe that Jesus was God. We've got to think about what this word believe means. This word belief here means actually to put my confidence in or to commit myself to. Not just a mental assent or just an agreeance with a certain set of facts. Here's an example. Perhaps you want to go from A to B, Shepparton to Melbourne, and there's a bus over there at the railway station, and you're standing in front of the bus, and you look at that bus, and you look at the driver in there, and you believe he's a bus driver. You do. You, you believe he's a bus driver. But the word belief here would mean, I want to commit myself to that bus driver. So what have I got to do? I've got to get on the bus. I'm entrusting myself to that bus driver because I believe he's the bus driver to get me from Shepparton to Melbourne. If I tell somebody I believe in the bus and I believe in the bus driver, but I stand outside the bus and don't get on, what will somebody think? I don't think you believe he's the bus driver. Because if you really did believe he was the bus driver, you would commit yourself to him and you would get on the bus and take the journey. So when we say believe in what Jesus is saying, he's saying, commit yourself to me. Entrust yourself to me. Let your life be shaped now by who I am. Believe that I'm taking you to eternity. Commit yourself to me. That's how we enter the way to heaven by entrusting ourselves to Jesus Christ and committing our lives to him. Not just an agreeance in our mind, but it's reflected now by my life showing out that belief. Let me just share a couple of things here with you as I think about this gospel truth of eternity with Jesus in the way that it actually radically changes me right now and changes the way we live as we grasp this idea of eternity. Firstly, eternity with Jesus helps me to overcome the troubles of this world right now. It doesn't take them away, but it actually helps me to overcome those troubles right now. The hope of the gospel, the eternal gospel, recognises that I do have troubles of all size right here, right now. But it won't always be like that. It won't always be like that. You see, eternity sparks hope. The hope of glory. Christ Jesus living in me 
provides me now with a longer lens to see my life with and to see this world with. My present troubles are real. I'm not going to deny any troubles. They are real. I do have a broken... I don't, but you could have a broken marriage. And it's broken. And there's no hope of reconciliation in that relationship. And it's filled with all sorts of grief and pain. And broken relationships are. And I may experience that grief and pain the duration of my life on earth. It may be that way. But a day is coming when it will all be over. That grief, that pain will be gone. Eternity actually gives me that hope. And as I grasp that, it enables me to work through the grief and pain. It doesn't take it away, but it gives me the strength to go through the grief and pain because eternity gives me the bigger picture that one day it'll be over. could be the same for a sickness. Well, it's exactly... Exactly the same for a sickness. Uh, many of you here would know of Joni Erickson, uh, an American lady who had a diving accident when she was 17 and uh, was wheel, wheelchair bound. Uh, she's now, I think, into her late 60s or thereabouts, been in a wheelchair all her life. She's been prayed for countless times to be healed. It's not God's will for her to be healed in this world, and she's okay with that. You know why? If you talk to Jenny Erickson, she says, I'm looking forward to heaven where I can finally walk out of that wheelchair and just kick it away. The hope of eternity helps Jenny Erickson to walk through this life despite the challenges and pains that she has in that way. Spending eternity with Jesus allows me to radically live for him now with this longer term perspective. What does that mean? I can sacrifice for the gospel now and I've lost nothing at all in the long run. I can gladly forego, although it might be a difficulty, I can gladly forego some short-term pleasures with my time and my energy and my finances for the sake of the gospel. I can commit my time now to invest in the life of a struggling person who I know, to grow in the gospel with them. I actually can go out there and take some time to read the Bible with them. Actually, what I'll do is I'll... I won't watch my favourite TV show. I'd love to, but I'm not going to watch that. I'll sacrifice that and I'll go spend some time with that person and read the Bible with them to help them grow and see Jesus transform us both. The hope of eternity enables me to make that sacrifice. It helps me to see here that with that sacrifice of time, I can see that person strengthen on, on their journey to heaven as well. I really can afford to give some more money towards the work of the gospel to see it advanced in Greater Shepparton and in Kazakhstan and every other part around the world where we want to see the gospel grow. I can make that sacrifice. I don't have to spend as much money as I usually might or would do on a vacation or cars or clothes or hobbies. The eternal perspective changes the way I think, changes the way I view. I can make a sacrifice and I'm no loser at all. Matthew 6, 19 to 20 tells us that very thing. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
I'm no loser by making that sacrifice. And it will be a sacrifice. Because a, a nice new car with fully optioned up might be within your grasp. And I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to buy a nice new car. But if you feel prompted by the Spirit not to do that, it'll, make, it'll be a bit of a sacrifice to sort of tone it down. But you'll be no loser. You'll be no loser. In fact, you'll make a better investment, according to Matthew chapter 6 there. Instead of burning all my money on temporal joys, I'm laying up treasures in heaven. Treasures of joy is what I'm laying up there as I serve Jesus with my, with my finances and whatever other ways I might do that. The eternal perspective of heaven changes everything. Changes the way we live right now. Here's another one. Eternity with Jesus frees me from the false ideals of this world. It really does. It gives us that longer lens, that bigger perspective on how to think about life here and now. Because sometimes this world with all of its ideals is like prison. It sort of corrals us down this way thinking this is where life is. You've got to have this, this, this and this to make life sort of fulfilling or live the good life. It could be like this. To be successful... I need to have this type of career. The world told me, you need to be in this career to be successful. Or to be successful, I need to live at this address. Or to be successful, I need to have this type of car. Or to be successful, I need to be this type of a person. Or to be successful, I need to go to these places for holidays. Or to be successful, I need to wear these types of clothes. All these things sort of come bombarding into our brains because of this world, continually telling us, if you want to find life, or be successful, or experience everything, tick these boxes, tick these boxes, tick these boxes. Eternity frees us from that. It frees us from that. I can feel chained to those constraints. Here's what uh, the eternal perspective says in James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will do this or do that. The gospel, the eternal gospel with an eternal perspective, tells me life is not bowing down to to the demands of this world. The gospel tells me it's about following the will of God here and now, living my life in his will, not sort of dancing to the tune of how the world might think we need to make life here. And again, we are no losers in that. We've lost nothing. That's the place to live is in God's will. And when you live that way, it frees you from the constraints of this world. It really is freeing. I read this article the other day about Justin Bieber. It's come back to my mind now. Uh, This guy has 117 million Instagram followers uh, across the world. He's not the most. Cristiano Ronaldo has 165 million Instagram followers. Anyway, Justin Bieber's got this massive following, this massive name, living the life, so to speak, right? The life that everybody wants. I read this interview and he told this guy, he said, I feel trapped by my fame. I can't do the normal things that normal people do. I can't go down the street to buy a pizza. 
Because the moment I go down there, there's a thousand people wanting my autograph or taking photos of me. That's the constraints the world's put on him, thinking this is the life you've got to have. The gospel frees us from that with that eternal perspective. The end of the road for a follower of Jesus Christ on this earth is just the beginning of a glorious eternity, spent in the never-ending beauty of Christ, just revealing itself day after day after day with fresh glimpses of this glory, continually inspiring it within us awe and wonder and worship. We get to taste that eternity now in a small way as the Spirit dwells in our hearts and makes Christ alive and it shapes the way we live. It really does. Let me just close with these questions here then. We need to ask ourselves as we think about heaven, we think about eternity, with what perspective then With what perspective am I, are you, building your life with in this current world? What's shaping the way you make decisions? Is it the world with all of its ideals saying you need this, you need that to really be successful in life? Or have you, have I, got the eternal gospel in perspective that's framing and shaping the way we see life and the way we make decisions. If we could just get a glimpse of the glories of who Christ is, I'm sure it would radically change us in way, way deeper ways than what we are. If we could just get a glimpse, and we get a glimpse, just little snippets here in the, in the Bible. Let's pray. Uh, Father, today we thank you that we can uh, come and think about uh, these glories that await every single believer who puts their trust in Christ, commits their life to him, turns away from the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our lives and follows you. Lord, we have glorious, wonderful experiences lying ahead of us and they are all found in Jesus Christ, the very centrepiece of heaven. Holy Spirit, today we pray, please open up our eyes. Let the eyes of our heart be opened, I pray, Lord, that we would see the wonder and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And the Lord, that that wonder and that beauty would get so deep into our hearts that it would change the way we think, change the way we see, and change the way we live, I pray. God, I ask that you would just let that work happen in our hearts today. Lord, for those today who are struggling, suffering, perhaps with, Lord, illnesses or sicknesses that cannot be cured, they just need to live with that ache or that pain or that whatever for the rest of their lives. God, I pray today, let the hope of heaven be that glorious hope that carries them through those trials and not just get them over the line, but let them get there, Lord, with joy in their hearts at the same time. Lord, today, for those who are suffering in relationship breakdown, which at this point seems like it's beyond repair and may never be repaired in the duration of this lifetime, I pray, God, let the hope of heaven spark deep, lasting strength, Lord, to go through that journey and to know one day 
that it'll all be over. Lord, I pray today, please, uh, let that work go deep in our hearts, radically changing us for your glory. In Jesus, we ask that in your name. Amen.